When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show, a big thing episode of the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. Today, I have none of my usual co-hosts, because instead I have my friend and yours, Mr. Manuel Vaith of Transfermarkt and the Gag and Pressing Podcast. Manuel is here to talk about the Bundesliga starting back up, about transfers that have happened, transfers that might happen. We're going to talk about Franz Beckenbauer as well. Manu, it's great to have you back on the show. Oh, it's great to be back. Um, I think I was on just before the Christmas period, right? That sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Uh, December, I think early December was the last time I was on. And yeah, um, happy to be back. It's an ex- insanely busy period. It is. Um, transfer for you, renewal. For you, like today alone, right? This is your, what, 19th podcast of the day? No, it's just the third. <laughs> okay, just the third. Just the um, third. We, we have done the um, two gig pressing podcasts mm-hmm. today. Um, one of them, by the time we record this, is out already. That's um, just for uh, the Substack users. Um, and that's on actually strikers, who Stefan and I will think will score the most goals, not throughout the season, but from here on to the end of the season. And then obviously the, the preview show. Um, um for match day 17 um, will be out for us listeners tonight for everyone in europe um in the morning um it's scheduled uh but yes so that's my third and then of course for transfermarkt we had two transfers go through that you know the uh, trade secret everyone knows this we all prepare our texts ahead of time right mm-hmm. <laughs> and then because we know what's going to happen so we just have to fire them out um, so that was uh, Dragosin to top, Tottenham, and then of course Eric Dyer to Bayern. Um, topical. So that yeah, was today. I have some questions about Eric Dyer to Bayern. I look forward to talking about them. And I think everyone does. Yeah, yeah. Uh, several <laughs> other questions about several of the clubs, but first, uh, as I said in the intro, I want to uh, start with Franz Beckenbauer, who passed away mm. uh, at the age of seventy-nine. A German legend, Derek Heiser. First of all, I wanted to ask: Is he called Derek Heiser in Germany, or is that yeah. one of those things like when we call you? Demine shaft or whatever. No, 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 no. Kaiser okay. is Kaiser is good. Um, the Kaiser, um, the other one, and I use this for my article that I wrote for for Gegenpressing is the Lichtgestalt des deutschen Fußballs. Um, you know, oh yeah, of course, the shining light of German football. Or the I actually translated it a little different because I don't like the English translation. Lichtgestalt can you know I I translated this as harbinger of harbinger of light. Um, I think that's slightly better. Some of you. You know, honestly, I think a lot has been said about Franz Beckenbauer and his passing and every single outlet on the planet. Um, and I think we all kind of experienced him a little bit different. How is he for you versus maybe someone a bit younger? Like we have that uh, mm. 
that dichotomy on the show where we have some late thirties people, and then we have Joe Lowry, who who <laughs> I think is is newer to the game, both in terms of life and in coming to the sport. Like, so he understands players from the nineties maybe slightly differently than myself, uh, Graham and well, Ryan. He, I, for you, I how didn't, is, he wasn't even playing in the nineties? He was. Yeah, he that's was, what I'm saying. So, like for Beckenbauer, yeah. how is he perceived for people who like sort of were? contemporaries to him versus for people who like mm. now are coming up having never seen him play but only heard about him yeah i mean it's it's interesting um i mean they collect i i in my article i made this point there's collective memory right and mm. then there's individual memory and the collective memory is of course him being um, a world cup winner for germany in 1974 he won the europe european championships with the and that's wonder team as well in 1972 right um played a, a magnificent kind of double pivot role, I guess you would call it nowadays, with Günther Netzer um, for that team. And um, also guided Bayern Munich to three, um, well, back-to-back uh, European Cup winners medals. Um, you know, so that was also in the 70s. Um, in terms of... You know, my memory, um, this is all as a player, right? I, that's my memory of that would be, okay, well, he's won all the stuff. That's great. Um, I've never seen him play. I didn't see him play until my twenties because, um, YouTube, right? All of a sudden, yeah. all this footage was available again and you could tell and you, you see him play and you're like, Oh my God. Yeah. He's, he's actually, he was really, really good. Um, and then there was this, uh, remember the documentary they did on the cosmos with Pele? Mm-hmm. Um, and there was quite a bit of footage on him on that as well. And you could tell that, and he's interviewed for that as well, I think too, right? Um, I think so, so, yeah. Yeah, he is. Pele didn't speak, but, um, Beckenbauer did. And I think a bunch of other players did as well. And so, of course, you know, that was, that came out when I was in my twenties as well. So, you know, the, I didn't really learn much about the player Beckenbauer. Until much later, my contact with him, my first, and I, I, this is another thing that I wrote, and this is like maybe where collective memory still is a big factor here, was when he won the World Cup as a head coach with Germany in 1990, and he was only the second person. And I got this wrong on my one of my initial social media posts, so I apologize. He was the second person to do this, right? Mario Sagallo was the first to win it as a player as a, and as a coach. Um Beckenbauer, of course, the second person to do it as well, um, winning it as a player and as a coach. It's a huge achievement. Not, I think the only other person that has done it is Didier Deschamps, right, with France. Um, so that was my, I don't remember the match really well. I remember all the celebrations because I was five and a half, right? And obviously you remember all the fireworks. Everyone is happy. It's a big moment in German history because it was just um, around the time of reunification, um, so, you know, Beckenbauer, um, became this larger than life personality already adding to the status of being this great player then, um, by being this fantastic coach. And then of course he became president of Bayern Munich in 1994, which was also, you know, around the 1994 world cup when president of Bayern Munich, right? So not president of Germany, I have to say mm-hmm. this. Underlining this, um, sometimes they feel like the same thing. But yeah, and you're not wrong. I mean, this is a really important position. There's three or four positions in Germany that are, might be even more important than the chancellorship or the actual presidency, uh, because not a lot of people know this. But the president is the head of state, and the chancellor is the person that runs the state. Um, but of course, 
um, Beckenbauer becomes the president of Bayern Munich in 1994. And that was also when I really fully started to get really, really interested in the Bundesliga. I already had some interest in the league before that, but you know, my club 1860 got promoted in 19, after the 1993-94 season. So that was also the first time we had, in my lifetime, I had the Münchner Derby in the Bundesliga, right? And that was also, you know, and that's where I think the collective memory diverges from to personal memory because then my personal memory, and this is the first thing that I learned about Franz Beckenbauer that I thought was mind-blowing, that he almost became an 1860 player. Really? Yeah. Seems like it would have been controversial. So I wrote this in my story. Um, the when... Beckenbauer was 12 years old. Um, this was in 58. 1860 were the bigger of the two clubs, right? And he was, it was predetermined that he would go to 1860. Um, he was a huge 1860 fan, grew up in Giesing where 1860 are located. And then he played a friendly with his youth club against um, one of the 1860 youth teams. And an 1860 player gave him, <laughs> slapped him in the face. And after the game decided, I'm not going to go to this club. I'm going to go to Bayern Munich instead. And that's known to this day as the Vatschen von Giesing, uh, the slap, the Giesing slap, which kind of changed the history of German football forever. Um, and I learned you, this. Do you know who it the, was who hit him? Who's no, him? actually I don't. But oh. uh, Beckenbauer has spoken about this many times in public. But yeah, can you imagine? <laughs> you uh, that person that ruined 1860s history forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't imagine that person would be very popular or allowed to continue to live in the city. So I, I hope their name doesn't uh, uh, come out or get publicly disclosed. Wow, that is isn't that crazy? A crazy though? sliding doors moment. Yeah, yeah. And so like I remember that story. The first time it was told was actually before that Munich derby in 1994, and Beckenbauer told it on uh, television. And I was like, "What?" Beckenbauer almost became an 1860 player, and it was one of those like. I can't believe that could almost happen. He's confirmed many times since. Um, yeah. And so that was then, of, of course, that's a, that's like a really memory that always sticks with me and a lot of 1860 fans as well. But also, you know, in the 1990s, Bayern Munich, he was a big part of that Hollywood, FC Hollywood storyline, mm. right? As the president of the club during that time. Um, he he guided the club to the Bundesliga title in 1993-1994 as an interim's coach. And then he came back in 1995-1996 to be an interim's coach again after uh, Bayern fired Otto Rehagel. And um, he did not guide him to the Bundesliga title. Mm-hmm. Borussia Dortmund won the title that year. But he did guide him to the UEFA Cup title. Um, you know, so those are things that stick out more to me than even these triumphs that were in the past mm-hmm. because I experienced them. Um, I saw them happening on the field, right? And um, yeah, I think it's, I'd be really curious how people, when they listen to this, how they react um, and how they remembered Beckenbauer or maybe even any football player that passed away. We've lost a few big ones mm-hmm. in the last few months, right? We lost Bobby Charlton as well. We lost Pelé. It feels like that entire generation is slowly but surely leaving us and I think there's always that like, oh, he, they won the World Cup. They have done, scored that many goals. They have achieved all this kind of stuff. But I think we each get touched by them individually as well with our own individual memories. And I'm always curious, you know, there's my perspective and then there's the perspective of others. And I think that's, I find that almost more interesting than what I read in these standardized obituaries that you see all over the internet. 
Yeah, I think that idea of you can read the facts and figures mm-hmm. versus your actual memories that you formed watching that player, seeing that player, seeing them manage yeah. whatever it may be. I think that that is always the second one is always going to loom larger. Whenever we do yeah. historical drafts or pick like the most important U.S. players, uh, there's always a a desire to put in players from generations past, but they never really resonate because for most people, they didn't see them play. They're not as familiar. And Mm -hmm. it's sort of a name you see on paper, but not a name you experience. That to me begs the question for you, at least for you personally, like I think of uh, Beckenbauer sort of in the same like field as I think of Johan Cruyff, like an incredibly influential player, successful player, successful manager. But then with Cruyff, there's also the like pseudo intellectual celebrity side. There's all these different aspects to him that you can sort of remember that can loom large for mm. you personally. How, how would you think you will remember Franz Beckenbauer as a player, as a manager, as uh, like a game changer? What would it be for you? Do you think? I think he, I mean, I personally put him into that category right behind Pele, right. Um, as the greatest players ever played when so before Ronaldo and Messi showed up and of course we have to put them into the pantheon of the football greats eventually and same I mean same with Zinedine Zidane who I think is already in it um you know I would put Zinedine Zidane into that same kind of pantheon Pelé is king um and I think it's not because he was the best player it's because of what how the world sees him right and then you have this group of personalities right below him in the Pantheon. And there's Johan Krauf, uh, Franz Beckenbauer, Bobby Charlton, um, Zinedine Zidane, Platini. Uh, we, we forget how good Platini was because of all the scandals he was involved in, right? Um, and you can, don't shoot me on this, but you know, you can probably name a few others as well. Um, those are the ones that just come to mind right now, but I think he's, he's right below the greatest um and for germany he is the greatest and it's not just because um of what he did on the field but it's also because of what he did as a coach right he did guy you know he took on the german national team at a time when things weren't that great um and he guided him to a world cup final in 1986 right and then he then did win the title in 1990 and then he left the projects to others and when he left, he said Germany would be would be undefeatable for 25 years because now Germany is reunified, right? And they will get these two national teams together. Didn't quite work out that way. We had to wait 24 years for another World Cup title. But um, he did set up the national team in a way that they could win the title. Um, and then, of course, he brought the World Cup to Germany as well. And that's, of course, a legacy that is being tarnished now for all sorts of things, FIFA scandals and so on. And actually something that I personally think outside on this, this is maybe where if you don't understand German politics, but I think there's a, there's a huge divide between Bavaria and the rest of Germany. Bavaria, of course, Franz Beckenbauer is Bavarian. He's from Munich where he is a bit, was a bit more protected. And then there's the rest of Germany where, you know, the, the, the world cup and the way Germany got it was seen a bit more critical, even though ev- everyone celebrated that world cup, you know, the, the summer Märchen, the, the summer miracle. Um, but, you know, I personally, I, I I was deeply hurt when Beckenbauer died because of all the positive memories he's brought to us. And that summer in 2006 was magical. And it wouldn't have happened without him putting all the legwork in. Was the World Cup brought to Germany in questionable circumstances? 
Yeah, sure. But which World Cup hasn't been brought to any country under questionable circumstances? I don't. Whatever do you mean? I, I, think I mean, 2022 and 2018. Totally allegedly, legit. of course. Yeah. We don't want to get sued. <laughs> yeah, whatever. It's fine. Um, yeah, it, it is interesting. And that's one that like uh, I, I read a little bit about, about the accusations mm. against him, which I think were dropped due to the statute of limitations. But I, I get a little confused where he says like, yeah, mistakes were made, but also we didn't do anything illegal. I and And I kind of end up feeling like this isn't really a story that I am fully as interested in when it comes to Franz Beckenbauer no. because there's so many other aspects of his life. But it is an interesting one about how things can change when you're put into different positions. Maybe it's the Peter principle of eventually you get promoted to a spot where maybe you don't need to be. I think it's also interesting how quick that story went away when he died and everyone all of a sudden had this collective outpouring of grief. You know what I mean? Well, what do you mean? As in like, it just, do you feel like it wasn't that big of a story to begin oh, with? Or the same feel... people that tore him down all of mm -hmm. a sudden are putting him on this pinnacle of greatness. And we have to remember too, and we, we notice now that his health hasn't been good for a while, right? And he, he, he basically hid away um, in his, his estate in Austria over the last few years of his life, um, not being healthy, um, seeing people kind of scratching on his legacy that all of a sudden now that he's dead, that legacy seems to be so fully untarnished. Um, and I'm not sure that's right in some ways. Like we need to question the world way World Cups were handed out, but I don't know if this is the, the same, if this is the time to do it and the way to do it. Um, yeah, kind of getting lost in my thoughts here a little bit, but <laughs> I just think that when Beckenbauer died, I I felt a lot of sadness because I know that this person has given a lot to the average German football fan, including myself. And I just don't think that is a moment where we remember the negative. I think that we should only remember the positive at this time hmm. um, because we have done enough to, to work through the negatives that have come Um during his lifetime, if that makes sense. It does. It does. And, and, and I think that's fair. And I think it's why, to your point about collective memory versus individual memory, yeah. it's always nice to talk to somebody who has the individual memory so you get a better understanding from a person uh, whose life was affected and impacted by that player. So thank you for sharing all that. I want to be very <laughs> clear that we agree that the most important achievement in his career is winning the NASL three times, right? Nothing else really matters compared to that. But you know what? Um, for some people that is... The biggest thing, how many, who, <laughs> no, but you know, how many people in the United States are still soccer fans because of what the cosmos That's did. That's probably fair. Yeah. And you know, for, um, what the cosmos, I urge everyone, I forgot the name about, it's the Pele Cosmos uh, once, documentary. Once in a lifetime. I Thank you. It's a great documentary. It's, it is. it is a really, really great documentary. And funnily enough, the image that it shows for the, uh, story that I wrote or game pressing was him actually in a Cosmos shirt. <laughs> there we go. See? Yeah. The legacy endures. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, 
it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willingly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. I don't know if we're going to have much more NASL conversation, but thank you no. again, Manuel, for sharing uh, your thoughts on Mr. Franz Beckenbauer. Let's talk about the return of the Bundesliga. First mm-hmm. of all, the word I always forget. The second half of the season, is that the Rückrunde? Yeah, that's the Rückrunde. Okay, well what done. does that mean? Uh, it just means the second half of the season. Hey, okay, cool. Or the right, return. Right. It actually just means the return legs. The return legs. So what's, yeah. what is the first legs? Hinrunde. And what is the whole season as a whole? Uh, Saison. Oh, okay, that makes sense. All right, cool. I'm learning German and also not learning it at the same time. That's okay. Um, um, most Germans don't know how to use German properly. <laughs> that's good to know. That makes me happy. Um, so let me ask you this. Since we, you have done multiple shows already, you've written a bunch of stuff. Let's mm. start here. What is the most interesting story uh, to you in the Bundesliga right now? The title race. Okay, um, then let's go with that. Leverkusen-Bayern, I think, is, is hugely fascinating. Um simply because those two teams are running away with it at the top mm-hmm. of the table at such an incredible breathless pace, which makes me wonder whether they can actually keep it up. And I'm, I mean, both of them, because um, we do know about this from Bayern um, before last season. Last season, they, they really dropped points left, right and center, right? But they have done actually quite a good job of of collecting points on a pretty regular basis this year. And usually that would mean that they would be far and away with the title race already. But the fact that there's another team doing even better, um, I think it's a really interesting story. And I'm not sure both those teams have um, the staying power to actually maintain this pace. So let's talk about what they need to do. Let's start with Leverkusen mm-hmm. for a moment. They've got 
Boniface went to the Africa Cup of Nations, yeah. then came back due to injury. So either way, they won't have him for a while. Uh, one thing I know you talked about in your gig and pressing show where you were giving out your first half grades yeah. was the question of can Patrick Schick fill those boots? Mm-hmm. He scores, what, a brace in, in his first game? No, Are you Patrick. feeling it was a hat trick? Even better. There we go. So are you feeling better about Leverkusen uh, with that performance from Patrick Schick? I think it's funny that you say that because our show today was about, um, you know, which strikers we think will do the best in, in the Rückrunde. And both Stefan and I actually agreed that it could be Patrick Schick. Hmm. Um, he, when he's fit, he's a phenomenal player. Um, we have to remember that what was it? He scored 24 goals in 27 Bundesliga games, not last year, the year before, but then he got hurt and he missed pretty much an entire year, right? Um, with a major injury and then all sorts of small injuries that basically mean he's only just coming back now. Um, and that made us think like, okay, well, this guy is never going to come back. And then you see him playing. He's like, oh yeah, now, we're, now I remember why some clubs ah, were willing to pay 70 million euros for him, right? Because he's really good. <laughs> Patrick Schick is really, really good. It's funny. Um, I spoke to um, a source ahead of the Leverkusen-Bochum game, and he's like, oh, it doesn't matter that Boniface is going to be out for the Africa Cup um, because, you know, the Leverkusen's plan before the season was always that Schick was going to be the number one starter and Boniface was going to be the understudy. And then they just... Boniface, you know, stepped in way quicker than everyone experienced who scored all these goals. But you wait and see when Schick comes back, you'll score 20 goals. I'm like, hmm. okay, sure, whatever. And then uh, 90 minutes later, it was, Schick already had three. <laughs> all right. They're on, he's on his way. He's on his way. So that concern is maybe a little bit mitigated for the time being. What would be the other potential areas of concern, especially as we are in an active transfer window? Do you see any players uh, getting heavily recruited by other clubs? I think there's few clubs are recruiting, but there's no way. Um, Leverkusen are not going to lose anyone this window. Uh, Summer is, of course, very different, but this window, there's no chance. They made this really, really, really clear, um, including to us, um, that they're not going to let anyone leave. Um, they're not adding either, at least, at least that's what they're saying. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't believe that until I see it, but, um, you know, I think the concern really is Patrick Schick is really good, but can his body hold up um, until Boniface comes back, right? Um, and then, uh, of course, I think what I would like to see too is can Adam Lasek, um, the striker that they signed, and ne- never really fully fully showed his potential yet, can he maybe finally step up and add some um, attacking depth to the side, right? I think that would really help them. Um, and then the question too is, is this pace so sustainable? I think it is. I think they're the best team in, in German football. And I think when, when you look at their record overall, I think they have the best record in Europe, or at least they had it going into the winter break. Of course, you know, other clubs have played since. So, um, this might have changed, but going into the winter break, they had the best, um, record of any club playing in any of Europe's top four leagues, um, which is, incredible really when you think about it i think they're still undefeated in all competitions as well so how much longer can they make this last um and i think too has javi alonso been able to compensate this incredible form over the winter break or perhaps um and this could be a positive has he even been able to build on this because 
when you talk to people at Leverkusen, they think that he isn't anywhere near of the squad being to the standard that he envisions. Okay. Right? Which is scary because <laughs> he's getting a lot out of this team. I mean, the signings have been incredible. Um, Rani Chaka has been a revelation. Although you have to say too that he did the same things for Arsenal last year, didn't he? Um, I think towards the end of that campaign, Arsenal would have quite happily kept Granit Xhaka. Um, Alejandro Grimaldo has been a really good signing for them too. Um, he's now a Spanish international, maybe one of the best left backs uh, in European football. And, and he is so untraditional in a sense that he doesn't really play like um, just one of those speedsters, right? He's almost like a playmaker out wide and, doesn't rely on the speed as much and has such an incredible foot. The, the way he strikes those free kicks is, I haven't seen something like that in a long time. Um, and so he's getting a lot out of this team. And there's some very talented players overall that I just think maybe there's another level. Who would be the player you think is most important that they stay healthy for the Recrenda? Shake. And now that Boniface is out, Sheik has to stay healthy. Um, that's so important. And then, of course, the other one is uh, Florian Wirtz. Um, he is such such a great attacking player, um, such an important playmaker for them. When he gets going, he can make the entire attacking play more dangerous. Um, he's going to be crucial. And then, of course, uh, the way Granit Xhaka has been playing, fantastic. But also... Um, you know, you also need to point out Ezequiel Palacios, the World Cup winner with Argentina, right? Um, he allows Granit Xhaka to do the things that he's doing um, just by being, being paired up with him. I mean, you look at this team and you just look at it and you, you realize, wow, there's, there's so much strength there. Um, yeah, I think, you know, but mentioning those four key players, I think those have to stay fit, especially during the Africa Cup. And on the flip side, let's talk Bayern for mm. a little bit. Uh, they are in, as you said, pretty good form themselves, just yeah. not maybe quite at Leverkusen's standard at present. Uh, same question for you. Who do you think they are most hoping stays fit for the second half of the season, and why is it Harry Kane? <laughs> it is Harry Kane, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> I, think, I mean, it has to be, right? And Leroy Sané. Sure. Uh, I think that Harry Kane, um, it's interesting that you asked this because there's another thing that we pointed out on Game Pressing today is that Harry Kane really has benefited the first half of the season of his partnership with Leroy Sané. It allows Harry Kane to do things that he's been doing in the Bundesliga. Um, I am really curious to see how he's doing the second half of the season um, with every team's analytics department now having poured over the numbers and um, seen him play firsthand um he scored a few goals that were far too easy for him to score and i don't think he's going to get those in the second half he's currently outperforming his xg by 6.0 so you know um if you believe in that kind of thing sooner or later regression will come having said that regression means that he would still score 15 goals in the second half of the season and end up with close to 40 so that's <laughs> I don't think anyone would complain about that. All right, return. How, yeah. how has he been? How has he been received in Munich? Because, like, this wasn't really a thing that I thought about. I was asking Graham, Ryan, and Joe if they had mm. questions for you, and that was one that came up. Is has there been yeah. any frustration amongst German supporters that 
Bayern Munich turn to an English striker to score all these goals and have all these successes, or is are they no. just very happy to have him in the squad? I think they, they, there's there's a general sense that Harry Kane. Um, I mean, I can just go from my own experience from being in Munich, um, seeing him play at the Allianz and the way he's interacted with us. Even when he doesn't speak to us, he always has um, a few kind words to say whenever he comes to the mixed zone. Right? I've explained this on the show in the past in Germany. The players have to go through a mixed zone. Um, so they have to interact with us. They don't have to necessarily speak on record, but they have to go through. And he's always extremely polite. Um, he does stop for every single fan and takes selfies with them and speaks to them. Uh, he's taking on the full foot- German football experience with flying colors. I think um, he really enjoys the the closeness to the fans. You know, the fact that there's a lot of open practices where fans are in attendance. Um, and I think he really enjoys that. It's, that's different in the Premier League, right? And I think um, the fact that he's so open about those experiences has meant that um, this open heartedness has been reciprocal, right? Um, I think that he isn't necessarily like some other players that have come from other cultures and have been kind of shocked and surprised and then withdrawn themselves uh, from this experience um, means that, you know, that he's really liked um, this, all these positive stories that have come out now because he's lived in a hotel, right? Until very recently, he's now finally found a place to live with his, him, his entire family in Munich. Um, and the stories that you hear from there that he, always polite and open and always stopped to chat with with everyone at the hotel and um you know so he's been i think i think it's been really surprising on how how um he really embraces this experience um and you can tell that he's enjoying it i think you know with some players mm-hmm. It's so different because they're like oh they get overwhelmed and oh they don't care but i think he really cares about learning about Bavarian experience, learning about the Bavarian culture, learning about Bavarian food, you know, and not just making fun of it or whatever, but like actually trying to take it in. And that is a side that I didn't expect at all. But you know what? Um, It's really endearing him. Um, It's very similar to the the Keegan experience in Hamburg, where he still loved to the the present day, right? Because of the way he took on that Hmm. experience. And I think Harry Kane is doing a really good job um there as well it's different than that i remember watching the beckham netflix documentary and the hype that was generated when he joined real madrid um the hype was very similar when kane came to munich i tell you that because i was there i covered that on the ground right and it was insane it was absolutely insane but then i think what is different between madrid and munich is that the people in munich leave the players alone when they want to be left alone there's this almost social contract um, and it's a very Bavarian thing. It's not like that in the rest of Germany, but in Bavaria, you know, you, you know like you have this almost a social contract that everyone has their own private sphere and you are allowed to open yourself up and you're welcome in. But if you're not, then there's a really quick reaction that, okay, let's leave this person alone, which means the players can eat out in any restaurant in Munich without being bought up with photographs and selfies and all that sort of stuff. You know, there's a really good understanding there. So I think that experience in that regard is very different, but it's still endearing. There's a moment for me uh, this season with Harry Kane where I where I fully was just like, yep, okay, he's going to be fine. It was earlier. It was early in the year and he's starting. Thomas Muller is not. And he sort of played in. And for many of the strikers in the world, it would be 
you know, like maybe he scores it, maybe he hits it right at the goalkeeper, maybe he hits it wide. It's kind of a tough one. And right. Harry Kane just does the thing we've seen him do a thousand times of take a touch and then bury it in the far bottom corner. And Thomas Muller, this is the part that I, I just <laughs> yeah. remember being like, okay, here we go, is uh, Thomas Muller is, I think, warming up behind the goal. And as Kane finishes, he simply just like nods approval. Just like, yep, that's what I thought should happen. And that is exactly what happened. Different, and I feel like eh? Thomas Muller has the goofy persona, but also seems to have a little yeah. bit of that like, hey, you better finish or you're going to hear about it sort of mentality. And, and just in that moment, it felt like, okay, so that wow. basically they signed a clinical goal scorer to be a clinical goal scorer, and now he is doing exactly what they need him to do. This is going to work out just fine. And Thomas Muller and Harry Kane are close friends off the field already. They go golfing together and spend a ton of time together. I, I feel like Thomas Muller is a club ambassador at this stage already and he's mostly there to just welcome these new guys and introduce them and teach them about Bavarian culture. Scream at them in a megaphone while riding in a golf cart. Yeah, yeah, that checks out. Um, the question then becomes, Eric Dyer? Let's talk about it, shall we? How How did they land on Eric Dyer being the solution or a solution to some of their problems? Because I think on the surface, uh, like I initially thought like, oh, are they bringing him over because he's a good player, but also because like he knows Harry Kane and their buddies. But it seems like Harry Kane is doing just fine on his lonesome. So mm. if it's not to be pals with, with Harry Kane, why have Byron gone for Eric Dyer? I think because he's versatile. And if he sits on the bench, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> it's a really short and fair answer. <laughs> <laughs> Are they bringing him in as, as center back depth, as yeah. midfield depth, or as center back depth? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. They bring him back and also to play right back if needed. Um, that is, I think, what what really um, what you really liked about him, that he can play center back, but also if needed, he can fill in right back. Uh, and I, I think if if he doesn't play every game, I don't think he's going to complain. So, you know, um, I think that is a really, really big part of it. Um, he will be happy to be just a backup and... I, I can't say much more than that. It, it yeah. kind of reminds me of the, the, the Dali Blind signing last year. Um, oh, yeah. Where they're like, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, that happened. <laughs> we talked about on the show. All he does is, does is win the league. He, he wins the Dutch league. He wins the Bundesliga. Now I, f I forget where he is. That's why it came up on the show because you can't count him out since now he's, yeah. he just wins league titles. Where, wherever he's gone now, um, he's going to win the league. Maybe Dortmund need to sign him. Um, but. <laughs> Oh, Girona. He's at Girona. There you go. Um, okay, well, then he's not going to win the league this year, is he? <laughs> oh, no, yeah, yeah, he is. He of could. course. He yeah, could. He could. La Liga, of course. Um, yeah, I, I, that'd be funny. That'd be really funny. Um, so, Which is Eric, more likely, do you think, that Girona wins La Liga or that Leverkusen wins the Bundesliga? I think it's more likely that Leverkusen wins the Bundesliga. All right. I don't know why that excites me other than I love Xavi Alonso and I really enjoy watching this Leverkusen team. That's why. That's the answer I think, why it excites I, yeah, me. I, I think it's also because so often when we do these shows, these catch-up shows, it is from a, hey, Dortmund have been kind of good and they're in the yeah. race even though Bayern are eight points ahead. Is there any chance Dortmund catches them? And it sort of has always felt like Dortmund managed to, even when they bring it close, even when they get ahead of Bayern, end up tripping up, letting <laughs> Bayern back in and Bayern end up winning the title. I just I'm happy that even if that happens with Leverkusen, it it feels like less of a foregone conclusion than it has in seasons past. I think the the issue that a lot of people have, um, and this is becoming increasingly so, is that Dortmund allows the Bundesliga to be a one team league, not 
that Bayern has made the Bundesliga one team league. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well... But think about it. Like, that that was last year was the third time that Dortmund handed Bayern Munich the title on a silver platter, which is hilarious because the title is a silver platter. But (laughs) that is genuinely hilarious. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Oh, Dortmund. I I have questions about them. My final question about Bayern. Do you think there will be more business in January? Do they need to strengthen anywhere? Is there anybody they might get rid of? For Bayern? Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's a good question. Um, Is Thomas Tuchel still sort of quietly pining for a number six, or is that not happening? One might have heard recently they they want to maybe somehow punt us to um, next summer. Which mm. I'm not sure is a good idea. Um, on the other hand, I really like how Alexander Pavlovich has played before the winter break. He looked like the real deal, right? The, um, the young 19 year old from the academy, mm. um, Serbian German uh, defensive midfielder. Um, I wrote in an article for Forbes that um, if he works out, he would save Bayern Munich 65 million euros, which is semi true because they pay 70 million euros a year for the academy, but eh, different story. Um, so, you know, honestly, if they can find a solution like that, that's great. And maybe they want to see how it goes with Pavlovich until the end of the year. And if they're giving him a genuine chance and he takes us, that'd be great. It'd be great for Bayern. It'd be also great for, for German football, right? Because um, right now it looks like he is playing for Germany. So that'd be great. Um, I do think that maybe they're going to bring in another right, a full-on right-back. Um, Nordi Mukiele has been linked heavily to them, uh, the PSG right-back formerly of RB Leipzig, right? Um, I think that actually could also kind of make sense because he already knows the league. Um, there's a large French contingent at Bayern Munich always, um, so it would be easy to integrate him. Um, so that is the kind of thing that I can see. And then Christoph Freund, the sporting director, um formerly of RB Salzburg, he could surprise us. You know, he is the sort of person that finds uh, I mean they signed Brian Saragossa out of nowhere for next summer from um Granada, right? Um and that is the sort of transfer that I think we're going to see more often with him in charge because that's the sort of transfer he would have done for Salzburg, where he would find a talent that not many people have heard of before and sign him before he becomes expensive. So let's talk about our friends, Borussia Dortmund, shall oh, we? Uh, I went <laughs> on like modified paternity leave a little bit early, so around the beginning of December, when mm-hmm. things were, were going great, Mario, or going well enough, at least. And then basically, in short order, they can proceed to not win another game. They lose two, they draw five. Mm. Uh, Dortmund, in a very poor run of form, did their warm weather training inspire renewed confidence? Spoiler alert. I'm assuming the answer is no. Yeah. I mean, they did make some changes, right? Um, That was inspiring by you. Yeah. (laughs) Long silence, (laughs) sigh. Yeah. It's such a frustrating (laughs) club in so many ways. Talk about Um, it. Let's talk about why they're frustrating. You know, it's just... There is change happened. Um, Mm -hmm. There was a lot of reporting that Eden Tejas could be gone. And then, of course, um, I talked to some people... uh, in an around the club um, that very quickly told me that no, Eden Terzic don't expect him to be gone. And I reported this on the podcast and, you know, while everyone else in Germany was still reporting that Terzic could be gone, um, he was not because, and that, you know, we sort of beat the, beat everyone to the story that he will stay. Um, 
And then, you know, he did stay and Dortmund signed Sven Bender and Nuri Shaheen as mm-hmm. uh, coaches um, to work with Eden Terzic. And, you know, the way I understand it is Eden Terzic is now more like an English manager and Sven and uh, Nuri are doing the coaching. I don't know if that is the sort of change that was necessary. Um, you know, I did report that Eden Tessage is going to stay. It doesn't mean that I necessarily agree with it. <laughs> you know, it is, at the end of the day, there's what I can report and then there's my own personal feelings about it, right? I do think that some change might have been necessary. I'm not sure that bringing in Nuri Shareen or Swam Bender will be enough. Um, I'm not saying it's not. I just don't know, right? I, I, I can't tell. Um, I'm not close enough to the situation at this very moment to, to give you an accurate answer. I wasn't in Marbella at the training camp uh, and seen them work, um, full disclosure. Um, Those that were were unimpressed from what I read, or at least yeah. unimpressed from the two friendly results. I mean, it takes time. Mm-hmm. And I also don't know if adding more voices to the dressing room has helped. I mean, I can say what I can say, and I reported this on Gegen Pressing, and it has been since also refuted by Marco Reus himself, that this player revolt that everyone reported about did not happen. Um, there was no Marco Reus-led player revolt against Eden Terzic. That was absolute fabricated nonsense. Um, I can report that with some very strong collaboration from sources I talked to. Um, you know, and that was a big story that I, I feel think... Like, I feel like you're doing a lot of work to say that it wasn't Marco Royce, which makes me think it was Marco Royce. No, it was not Marco Royce. You know, <laughs> just go on Transfermarkt and see who represents both those people. Ah, oh, of course, of course. Where does everybody get their information? Duh. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but like, honestly, at the same time, like, mm-hmm. those two are close. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah. That's just not what happened. There was no Marco Royce-led player revolution. Are there players that are upset with Eden Terzic? Yeah. Yeah. Why? <laughs> I mean, aside from normal player... Like, because the results have been and crap, and mm-hmm. the direction that he has been giving tactically have been They're, not okay. great. So what what do you feel like has been the shortcoming? Because my assumption for, as an outsider is basically that Terzic is a is like an affable manager. It seems like he's, mm. he was brought back in, obviously, uh, and, and does some damage control. It seems like he can kind of motivate the squad really well. But yeah. there did seem to be frustrations with the tactical instruction that he was providing yes. and the pre-match instructions. So then the idea would be you get Nuri Shaheen, you get Sven Bender, you get more tactics from them and planning from them. Terzic yeah. is being the vibes guy that everybody loves with obviously some in, some input along the way and it all works out. Is that roughly what they're going for? But you can't have good vibes without winning. Also that. That is a very <laughs> true point. Well, okay. Let me ask this then uh, on the vibes front. To your understanding from what you know, what is Aiden Terzic's managerial style? Is he a disciplinarian? Is he more lax? Is he like Eric Ten Hag, who's going to be mad if you're 30 seconds late? Uh, there's a reason why I'm asking about people being late. You might uh, you might guess. We'll get to a certain player in a second. Yeah. But for you, from what you understand of Terzic, what is his approach as a manager? That's a really good question. I've been trying to answer that question myself. Um I I think people kind of think he's like a body coach like Klopp mm-hmm. was. But what people forget is that all of Klopp's great football had a really strong structural foundation. Yeah. And I think what a lot of people kind of complain about is that we don't see that here. 
And that raises, of course, then the questions. What is the sort of football that Eden Tessic wants to play? What is the philosophy that he wants to bring in? Um, and we don't really have a strong answer 18 months into his second spell with the club. Um, there is no doubt that a large portion of the fans really love Eden Terzic, um, or even those, you know, even though there is now a lot of fans that have sort of their doubts, um, there's been a lot of disappointment with how last season ended, obviously, um, and how the results this year panned out and also with the recruitment um, of new players. So I think there oh, is yeah. a real... He was, he was kind of like a personal champion of Emre Jean, right? In yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, and so, you know, you have this this this, this real question of um, if we don't know what he stands for, yet he's in charge, is this really productive and a long-term vision for the club? Well, let's just be thankful that uh, into a turbulent situation goes Jaden Sancho, which should be really, <laughs> really smooth and not let's at all. take a dynam stick of dynamite right? and throw it into the fire. <laughs> so the, dis- the discipline question I was asking, because in that same piece talking about their warm weather training, it talked about Cole Campbell and Paris Brunner, uh, two players I was very unfamiliar with. Uh, but b- both of Cole them Cole Campbell 17. is American. Yeah, I'm still less familiar with them, basically. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the reason why they came to my attention this time was because, uh, and I think, what, Paris Brunner won the U-17 World Cup, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they're both very good, but both getting headlines because uh, I believe they broke curfew, Paris Brunner, for the second time, uh, and were it seemed to be punished by having to carry we all the gear to and from We don't know what Paris did the first time. We don't know that he did? No, we don't know what he did the first oh, okay. time, but this is the second time he's gotten in trouble. Okay. Magnificent talent, but he's 17, right? I mean, what sort of crap did we get up to when we were 17? Well, this this is kind of sort of my question. Jaden Sancho is not 17. Do you feel like he is going back to a club where he talked about it, uh, that going back in, it felt like going home. He felt very comfortable. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like this will be a positive step for him or if we continue to see some of the issues that were problems for him i mean going back to his first stint at dortmund but then at manchester united like is that the type of thing that you think in terzic while punishing two 17 year olds do you feel like maybe there'll be a little bit of leeway when it comes to Jaden sancho being punctual yeah that's that's a really good question uh, i think that it's really interesting that we had uh, disciplinary issues with with Jaden Sancho away from Dortmund, and also disciplinary issues around, you know, or in, in a close within a close time frame with uh, Gio Reyna as well. Um, that these players seem to behave, or they, they, their behavior seems to be uh, perceived so very different away from Dortmund than at Dortmund, mm-hmm. um, which then, of course, begs the question. Is lack of discipline seen more lenient in Dortmund in general? Mm-hmm. Um, because that is something that you could maybe point out. Because if those issues weren't a concern, or Dortmund always saying like, "Oh, there was no issues with us here," maybe those issues did exist, but <laughs> they just didn't matter. Or maybe Dortmund, as an institution, doesn't take these things as serious as they maybe should. Um, it's it's a genuine question that I have myself and I have thought about myself, right? Because now we had two players and now the third player is in the news, uh, albeit at Dortmund already. Um, so you you do wonder about these things. Um, 
But I think the the bigger concern I have of Jaden Sancho is that he is such a broken asset that I don't think a six months loan is enough time to fix him. And the thing is, even if you do fix him, you're going to lose him again. And I don't even know if Jaden Sancho is going to be a player that you need. There's Karim Adeyemi on the left. There's Jaime Bainu-Gittens, who's been excellent for them on the left as well. So he could take playing time away from those two who players that you, by the way, own, <laughs> like full-on own mm-hmm. and have control over. Um, I just, I don't know. It's just, if there had been an option to buy in this contract, I would have said, okay, yeah, that's a good gamble. You know, see how he works out. If he works out great and you... You you sign him to a long term deal, and worst case in like another year or two, because he's only twenty three, you can sell him again with a profit. Like, what's there to lose? But the way this is structured, I I think there's a ton of risk here. Do you expect Dortmund to be active in the transfer market with their sales? Do you think they're going to get rid of any players? And if so, do you think Gio Reyna is on that list? Um. I want to make this really clear because some people didn't quite understand the tweet that I put out earlier today. So he left Wasserman a few weeks ago, right? His agency, o- yeah. His agency, that's old news. And then over the last 48 hours, I don't know when you're putting this out, so I'm just going to say 48 hours, he joined a new agency, Gestifude, Jorge Mendes. That's news. Mm-hmm. That was first reported by Bill, and I was able to confirm that. And it's also now on Transfermarkt, so you can Man, check it there so as well. I was so annoyed by how people read his tweet. <laughs> I am annoyed because, like, honestly, I know, honestly, I know, I know. there's always someone who has to complain about something, and I get it. And then, like, on, just read the tweet, right? Yeah. And it's a twenty. I am not playing for Twitter Blue. I can, can't correct it, and I can't add more than 240 signs. I'm glad you're not paying for Twitter you Blue. Know, that like, makes me happy, though. I just don't feel like it doing that. And I also don't under, understand, understand, uh, support the current management. Yep. Let's Agreed. say it that way. But you are supposed to be capable of reading, taking the information <laughs> from that tweet. And if you cannot do that, then the problem is with you and not with me. <laughs> and if you then get pissed off at me for me saying that that's your problem, then that's also your problem. And if people think I'm condescending, well, fine, I'm condescending. I think people who actually know me in person know that I am not. But yes, he's at with Gestifude right now. And um, from what I understand is that a transfer is something that has been discussed. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's going to happen in January. That is something that all the parties are going to revisit in um, the summer. Um, and although he's with Jorge Mendes... I understand that actually most of the work will be done by his father, Claudio. Well, that should go well. Yeah, uh, I mean, great, all right? Yeah, what could yeah. possibly go wrong? <laughs> oh, man. I, I don't know. I like. I would love for him to stay and get consistent minutes, earn consistent minutes, play well, and, and thrive at Dortmund. I would love for him to move if I, it means he's going to get minutes in a new opportunity. I, like I just don't really def- know what he needs at present. Yeah, I, I, I like to be defensive of both sides here. Mm-hmm. Um I think that Gio Reyna has rightfully can point out that Dortmund hasn't played well and that they need um, players that can help. And um, as a result, you know, a lot of his fans will say, why why aren't they playing him? Um, That's because maybe people at Dortmund who have given him 
every single chance there is, mm-hmm. including when he was under fire with the U.S. men's national team. Yep. Um, maybe don't think he's the fix, you know, and um, you have to point out that when he did come on and when he did have his chances from the start, he did not actually play well. Um, and so I think that both sides have good arguments here. I think, I think we all know his ability. Um, I think we all know that he is a magnificent player, um, that he has bucket loads of talent. And I think it's up to him to show that, uh, whether it's at Borussia Dortmund or elsewhere. I don't think him leaving Borussia Dortmund going to another club with the same attitude is going to help. Um, And so, I don't know. I, I throw this back at you. Who do you think would be a good place or good club to sign him? Yeah, that's where it would probably be worth noting that like I have certain sentiments about Gio Reyna mm. that I hope he, he succeeds. Uh, I think to some extent he has been strongly involved in the situations in which he finds himself, uh, which is to say, I think maybe there's stuff that, that he can work on. I feel like how often I see him getting into it with teammates, which is then explained away as like, oh, you know, it's the passion of the moment. It's the heat of the moment. Mm. I think he just has very high standards, but also sometimes maybe not even too high of standards, but but just sort of, I think, for his frustration in the moment with what he thought should have happened, he doesn't see maybe the larger picture. It seems like he's a very mm. young player, basically, is what it seems like. That's the type of thing that I remember from from being young. It's getting really mad about my individual performance or someone should have passed me the ball and and not really focusing on the larger picture and the way the team is playing. So if he can if he can kind of find the not even the form, but I think the I don't know, the energy, the instruction, the relationships he needs at Dortmund, then that would make me happy. But any place where I think he can feel valued the way he wants to, but also I think be checked the way he needs to be. I think that will allow him to be a better player. If that's at Dortmund or elsewhere, I, I, I'm yeah. fine with it. Uh, but for now, he remains a Dortmund player. So we'll, we'll leave it there. We have many other teams to discuss. I don't think we're mm-hmm. going to get to every team in the league. We'll do some quick hits here. How about that? Let's Sounds start with good. Stuttgart, which maybe will end up being a longer hit than a quick hit. <laughs> I feel like we gave them, I gave them sort of short shrift last time. I think we talked about them very briefly as one of the top teams in the league. But it's a team that you don't expect to be, certainly in the top three, uh, Stuttgart. And with the season they've had, incredibly impressive. Manuel, how are they doing this? Well, so I had them as a candidate to maybe push the top six. I thought that um, last year the squad was way better than their position. And you saw at the moment a good coach stepped in and Sebastian Hoeneß, right? Um, under Sebastian Hoeneß, I think they were in the top four when you just take those last eight games of the season where he was in charge. Um, regardless, that was just enough to um, to finish in the relegation playoff spot where they, and it wasn't even close. I went to both those games. They crushed HSV, absolutely crushed them, right? Um, and then they took this momentum into this year and they are now in the top four. Um I I think I'm not surprised that they are all performing last year, but in the manner that they're doing it is is mightily impressive. Seven points ahead of Borussia Dortmund, who are at the moment occupying a Champions League spot only because the Bundesliga holds that uh, number one place in the coefficient ranking, right? Uh, which gives them the extra Champions League spot. 
um, which is not guaranteed by any means because a lot can happen from now to the end of the season. But at the moment, Dortmund are in in fifth, um, seven points behind Stuttgart, which is the team that they probably will have to catch because I think Leipzig are going to play a very strong second half of the season. And I'm not sure Dortmund can do it (laughs) because... This Stuttgart side is really good. Um, I was extremely fortunate to go to the Stuttgart-Leverkusen game just before the winter break. And it was one of the best football games I've seen all year. Really? Yeah, it was It was just two top teams going at each other, you know. Um, but it wasn't just, it was a 1-1 draw, right? So that doesn't sound like it was incredible. But every single player on the field on both sides knew what they were doing. And... That is, I think, sometimes the beauty is in the actual tactics, right? And the way the players execute their style of play. And you could just tell that these teams were incredibly well coached. And so the result was it was a draw, which was very fair, I thought. And that's at least what I noted down. And that's so that's the company that should get keep. They can go toe-to-toe with a side like Leverkusen, who we mentioned earlier, um, are one of the best teams, maybe the best team in Europe at the moment, based on form, right? Um, so yeah, it's, it's really incredible to watch. How critical is it that they keep hold of Serhu Jirasi? And then also how critical is it that they find a way to replace his goals when he is away for AFCON? Yeah, he's hurt now, right? So he's actually missing AFCON. Oh, that's right. That's right. We talked about this yesterday. I have yeah, a um, good stuff. Uh, but you know what? I think his exit clause for January has now expired. Um, they, they, so they were, no club was able to go in um, and wait until the 31st. I think that was earlier. It could be the 15th. So we're like a few days away. But I don't, I think there's good chance now that he's actually staying until the end of the season. Having said that, I actually think that, um, I think that Dennis Undaf is more, 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 more than capable of filling that hole. Um, he has been in really good form when he's been playing. Um, I have the statistic here. He has scored every 87 minutes in the Bundesliga this year. 13, 13 games, 87, uh, nine goals, three assists. When he's been playing, he's been excellent. Um, he could be the number nine leading Germany at the European Championships. Um, he will be called up in March. He's only 27. Fantastic player. Um, and I think that while Gurassi is out, he's going to further cement his um, his starting role. Of course, Stuttgart do play with both of them together. When they played Augsburg just before the winter break, they both played together, right? And each scored um, in what was a fantastic performance overall. So I think there's more than enough weapons up there for them to to replace um, Gurassi while he's gone or slash recovering from his injury. So we, we would assume then Stuttgart we hope at least we'll stay in that top four. Is that where you have them? So for the rest of the um, I don't have the statistic at hand, but I think there was a point, um, I think after match day 15, when they hit over 30 points. And I think there's like some statistic that every single team that hit 30 points after match day 15 have, has finished in the, in the top four. And I think actually the vast majority of these teams actually end up winning up the winning the Bundesliga title. Don't think that's going to happen this year because while their pace is incredible, there is two teams with an even insaner pace uh, in yeah. Bayern and Leverkusen, right? But um, statistically, they now cemented the top four spot. 
All right, so we think Stuttgart will be in there. We shall see if Leipzig joins them. Uh, the big news for RB Leipzig, uh, Timo Werner now with Spurs, a move that seems mm. Spurs are very happy about and Leipzig are somehow even happier. Uh, why did he fall so out of favor at Leipzig this season? Yeah, that's, I mean, that, this is, I think this is such an interesting story. And Timo has been sort of, the victim of leaving Leipzig when he was at his best and the club doing a really good job of moving on from him and improving. Um, we forget, of course, that despite all the jokes that Chelsea fans make about him, that he actually had, I think he's one of the, still one of the most prolific attackers that they had during the spell while he was there, right? Hmm. Um, people can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think he, he and Pulisic maybe, <laughs> another player who was sent to exile, right? Um, have some of the best attacking numbers at Chelsea during that spell. And things haven't exactly gone better for Chelsea. But the problem is then he he came back um, to Leipzig and it just wasn't the same Leipzig then before Timo Werner left. Um, you know, Christopher Nkunku, of course, was the main man. They had sort of earmarked Timo Werner as the replacement for Christopher Nkunku um, as the player who going to replace Nkunku once he goes to Chelsea. Um, and then he played sort of as an understudy, scored nine goals in 27 Bundesliga games last year. Then uh, Dominic Soboslai left surprising, which means under Marco Rose, um, they completely changed their entire squad. They brought in um, Louis Openda as a new center forward. They had Benjamin Sesko already signed, right? When Timo Werner arrived, but he was supposed to, he was going to stay another year with um, RB Salzburg. Then, of course, um, they brought in a bunch of attacking midfielders, um, Baumgartner, for example, right? Um, so the, and Harvey Simmons as well. And so the, the, the entire lineup just kind of changed. And the position that Timo Werner was playing was kind of phased out. And the way that they were playing, and now they were playing with two real center forwards, um, one of them a more physical presence, one of them a more dynamic presence, the, the physical presence. And this is, this is incredible use of Paulson at 29. You know, people forget that they signed Paulson when Leipzig was still in the third division. Um, he keeps okay. reinventing himself and he's been, forming this really strong double pivot with Louis Openda up front. And of course, you know, I think Benjamin Sesko is eventually going to take that role um, from Polson um, because he is that really, really strong player. Timo just didn't fit in there anymore. And that's really, I think, what it came down to, that Werner just didn't really fit into that system um, that Rose was playing, which was different than that, that, that traditional counter-pressing attacking style of football, right? Um, and a point has been made to me um, about um, Akne Postekulu, um, you know, that he is more of a gegenpressing style coach. And when was Timo Werner at his best? When Leipzig played pure gegenpressing, right? So I actually think that what went wrong here is that Werner came back to a club that was very different and just didn't need him anymore, you know, because when they sold him, they moved on. And then they came back and it just never go back, right? Um, we, we might find the same out with Jaden Sancho. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> yeah, um, and so I just, I just think that's what happened here. I, I think we have to also remember that Timo Werner is still only 27. 
you know, we're seeing Dennis Undaf doing incredible things now at 27 at Stuttgart. I think there's actually a really good chance that he goes to Tottenham and does really well there. All right. So it is then the case that like, like Leipzig are happy. They get his wages off the books. Uh, mm-hmm. They can, they can invest. Best highest paid need. player there. Yeah. And then Spurs get a player that might actually fit the system and maybe comes in with a point to prove he wants to get back into the Euro plans. So this would be the way. So maybe it ends up being a move that works out for all parties. Do you mm-hmm. think Leipzig will, will do uh, other things in the window or do you think they're just going to continue to build with what they have? They signed Eliaf Elmas um, mm-hmm. from Napoli. It's an interesting signing. I have to lie if I say I know a lot about him. Um, you know, it's it's it adds another attacking midfielder. He replaces Emil Forsberg, who's headed to MLS, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to New York Red Bulls. You can say that's a club internal transfer. A transfer fee was paid to me, I was told. Wait, it was paid to you? <laughs> no, to from <laughs> Red Bull to Red Bull. Okay. That makes more sense. That's good. I'm, I'm good. So they're just moving money from one. Uh, I, I would to the have other. loved good to get that. that transfer fee. Uh, <laughs> it's probably not much for Leipzig, but it would be a lot for me. <laughs> I believe you all have it listed as three million euros. Is that what uh, what they officially announced? Um, that that seems to be the number on that's the number on transfer mark, which I've heard is reputable. Yeah, that's that seems right. <laughs> um, yeah, goes in one pocket, goes into the another. I guess. Um, uh, let's okay. Then another t- team that's been doing some interesting things. In in past seasons and then in this uh, window would be Eintracht Frankfurt. And I really would love to hear your thoughts on them, uh, what they've done this season and what they are building or trying to build. Uh, Donny van de Beek of Manchester United mm-hmm. goes there. He has not had much, if any, success since leaving Ajax. He got a loan spell to Everton. That doesn't go so well. I think this could be a really interesting move for him at 26 years old. And then mm-hmm. Sasha Kalejic, a, a player who goes to Wolves, but obviously had... Plenty of success in the Bundesliga. This feels like it could be a very smart signing for them, unless I am missing something entirely. No, I, I think this is a really good signing for them. Um, he is the Kolomoani replacement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and has a very similar profile to Kolomoani. Tall, lanky, fast. Um, you know, can play various positions up front. Um, has a really good presence in the air. I think that's it's, it's a really good signing for him. I think the, the the Wolves move was more out of desperation because other transfers didn't go through, right? Um, him and his management were so far down the road of leaving Stuttgart that um, there wasn't really a way back. So, you know, Bayern were interested. Um, There's a, I think Leipzig were interested, Dortmund were interested, and then all of these teams went to look for other play for other players and. Really, the only option that was left was Wolves. And then as we it goes to Wolves, and then I, I think he suffers a really, he tears his ACL, right? Um, a few games into That's the right. season. That's right. Um, second ACL tear, have to add. And so that just kind of completely ruined that transfer for him. And now he goes, gets to go back to, to Germany to a club that really needs him. Um, Eindhoven Frankfurt have done, I think, incredibly well. Sitting there in sixth place, three points behind Borussia Dortmund on a better goal differential. Um, and having done all of that without a number nine, um, because they lost their number nine on the final day of the transfer window, right? And Omar Mamouche has been playing center forward for them, but he's not really a real number nine. He's done really well for them. Um, you know, have to give it to him. He scored seven goals. And I don't, I think, you know, if he had scored his seven goals, uh, in concert with another number nine, I think they would have done even better. Um, so I think 
Frankfurt have really, really plugged their holes that they needed to plug. And I don't think they're quite done yet either. I think they're going to add even another striker, um, maybe a little bit of a project, right, for someone that they can bring in the next summer in case they can't make the Kalajic move permanent. But I think from here to the end of the um, of the of the season, I think that's a fantastic move. My co-host Stefan on Gegenpressing thinks that Kalajic might be one of the top scorers from here to the end of the season. I don't think I would disagree with that. I remember him with Stuttgart. I remember how good yeah. he was. I'm really hoping he can find that form again, find that speed, score some goals. Maybe Donny van de Beek hits a few assists and and all is right with the world. Uh, so I would. Mm. Lo- I'm very excited to see frankfurt and see what they do in the second half of the season i'm curious about donny van der beck too i i don't i don't get it i really don't get it not i don't get the move that's not what i mean i just mean that he's a player who i thought was was so good for ix uh-huh. looked so good well, i watched a bunch of footage of him and thought like this makes ton, a ton of sense and then you could argue oh it's the wrong coach or it's the wrong situation but then he has other opportunities with different coaches and none of it seems to work i don't it's know what weird. the issue is I yeah. don't know if it will get fixed at Frankfurt, but I'm very interested to see what happens. You have an option to buy him if it works out. Um, That's but I, I'm super curious too. I just have to say this. And I have this debate with a work colleague of mine at Transferma who is also a Man United fan. And... Is it Marco Royce? <laughs> I feel like it's Marco Royce. Um, it's... Uh... It's it's interesting. I just I always say to him because he's like it's Jaden Sanchez's fault that he's leaving. And I was like, why is it that with every player that Man United sign, they get worse the moment they arrive in Man United? Because it's not just Sancho <sighs> and Donny van der Beek. It's also Andre Onana. Mm-hmm. It's Anthony. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. It really does. If it's, it's one or fun. two players, and then you can say, yeah, it's the player's fault. But we're getting the list is so long now that you have to say can't be the player's fault i feel like i trolled you a little bit earlier and i feel like you're getting me back so thank you for that manuel (laughs) i I really do appreciate it um we've gone very long i wanted to ask a couple more questions about the Mm. bottom of the table and how you see things playing out there Mm -hmm. at present time of recording we've got darmstadt in 18th Köln in 17th and mainz in 16th all on 10 points Union Berlin just ahead of the drop zone in 15th on 13 points they have done some business this window should Union fans be feeling better about the second half of the season or yeah. should they be concerned about dropping into the relegation zone? No, they'll be fine. Okay. Um, they, they signed Kevin Folk today from Hoffenheim, which I think is a really good transfer for them, a centre-back. Um, they got rid of Bonucci. That was good. I think that Bonucci um, was a good experiment that has massively backfired. Um, so they rectified that. Um, I think there's still some work for them to be done over this window. Um, but I think, you know, they, they, they're doing the right things to fix a squad that I think is way better than their performances. Um, I think that at the end of the day that they're going to stay in the league, um, it will be a year of regression that they had after many, many years in which they have always done it better than the year before. Um, and that's fine. That happens, right? I think that um, they made a lot of money in the Champions League. They don't have to. They don't have to worry about Europe in the second half of the season, which I think will actually help them. And I think they're going to be just fine. Um, I think I, it's going to be. Can interesting. I just say, Manu, really mm-hmm. quickly? 
my joke was going to be which Turkish club did Leonardo Bonucci go to, not realizing that he went to Fenerbahce. Uh, he went to wow, Fenerbahce. that is so on brand. It's amazing. <laughs> yes, it's uh, <laughs> that's where Euro parks their problems. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, at least they said a defender. I was actually looking at Fenner's uh, roster earlier and just wondering, like, are they playing six forwards? How are they doing this? So at least they brought in one defender. That's good. Sorry, yeah, and they continue. lost Fofana, right? Fofana was sent back to Chelsea. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, but that was Chelsea's decision, from yeah. what I understand. Okay. But yeah, I think they're going to be fine, honestly. Okay. Um so it's do you interesting feel like it that, stays as it is then in the bottom half? Or the bottom um, three? I think that I actually think that Union are going to finish somewhere around 10th or 11th. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that Bochum, Werder are going to stay down there. Köln are in deep trouble. Um, Darmstadt, again, Darmstadt, I, they're playing Dortmund on the weekends. So, you know, I don't think they're going to stay up. Um, hugely impressed with Heidenheim, and I think they're going to be just fine. Um, but you know when you when I look at the bottom half, Köln, uh, their new head coach uh, Schulz has said a hundred percent we're staying up. <laughs> Such a gutsy thing to say. Yeah, it kind of reminds me. Uh, I made this joke on another podcast, but it kind of reminds me. You know when they have like the U.S. Uh, primaries, and like some person who will like finish fifth in the primary running for their party goes on the stage and they gets introduced as the next president of the country. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Colin should be introduced as what, uh, 2024, 2025 Bundesliga competitors. Is that their equivalent of, of the next president? Meet the, meet, uh, 2024, 2025 promoted Bundesliga side. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Well, Manu, thank you so much for taking so much time to talk to me about Franz Beckenbauer, about the title race, about uh, many clubs in the Bundesliga. We did not talk about all of them, obviously. Maybe one day we'll just like run through every single one. I'll ask you like <laughs> one question about each. But for now, thank you so much for talking all of the football that you talked about today. Oh, no worries. Uh, it's a pleasure every single time. Um, love coming on. And yeah, I hope people enjoy this podcast and if you want to find out more or get more Bundesliga content, uh, definitely uh, check out Gegenpressing. Mm-hmm. It's a great podcast. It's really, it's a really great way to just keep up with the whole league, especially if people haven't been paying as much attention. The catch-up episode I mentioned where you all did your grades for the first half, I thought was, mm. was a really good sort of encapsulation of the season so, so far. But obviously, plenty of other content at the Gegenpressing pod. So do check them out. Manu, thank you again. Listeners, thank you all so much for listening and supporting the show. We'll talk to you again next week. Tschüss.